0: Uh, please open up to Matthew chapter 11. I'll be looking a little bit more at uh, John the Baptist uh, and Jesus' thoughts on him. And where John the Baptist fits and how Jesus fits in with him. It's interesting. Uh, we, we go to the mailbox every day. Um, and we even have a most of us have an email mailbox and we go through it the same way we go through our actual mailbox. You get the stack of stuff and you go through it and you say trash, 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 bill, trash, 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 bill, you know, and you're sorting through that. <clears throat> and in that uh, in that stack, you have offers, you have offers um, and a lot of times before you even open it, it says exciting offer inside and you still look at it like that. That's trash. It, it may even said you may have won. You may have won. And you say trash. Uh, it, it may it may even say something like this. You may have won twenty five thousand dollars. Trash. And, and we look at offers like that and we go, oh, it's no big deal. It's just trash. It's just another offer. This morning, we're going to be talking about an offer. An offer. It's the same offer. Uh, it's given by both John the Baptist and by Jesus. It's Jesus offering Himself. He's extending a hand. And this morning, we're going to talk about our response to that offer. And this morning, <clears throat> I want you to think about yourself right now. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm not saying so much where you're at with the Lord, but where are you at in life? Uh, are you struggling? Are you struggling? So Some, some of you say, well, I'm doing great. You know, I have a job, I have a home, I have a husband, I have a a wife, I have children. Uh, Everything seems to be going pretty well. And most people uh, in that situation would say, yeah, everything's going well. And yet still inside, there's this insecurity of going, I wish I had this or I wish I had that. I, I wish that my life were different. If I just had this, everything would be complete. Sometimes the outward appearance doesn't reflect <clears throat> what's going on inside. Others of us, uh, we struggle and everybody knows it. Uh, we know what's going on in other people's lives. and uh, Maybe we're struggling with our marriage. Maybe we're struggling with our kids. Maybe we're struggling with a death of a loved one. Maybe we're struggling with our health. Maybe we're struggling with finances. Maybe we're just struggling Uh, with a combo platter of any of those things there. And I want to tell you, uh, there's an offer on the table. Uh, There's an offer extending a hand to you uh, wherever you are this morning. And so uh, I think it's a message for Bear Valley Church. Um, I think that so often uh, when we come to church, uh, you, you feel like, you know, am I the only one struggling? I want to assure you this morning... That you are not the only one struggling. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on here. And so we come as needy people uh, to the offer that Jesus has presented to us in Matthew chapter 11. We go to God's Word. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you <clears throat> from chapter 7 down through verse 19. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Uh, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you truly i say to you among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than john the baptist yet the one who is is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of john the baptist until now the kingdom kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? Is like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to their playmates. I played the flute for you. Be clear to us this morning that it might set our dead hearts on fire and and cause us to be alive. I ask that you would help us to trust you this morning. To not trust in our own devices, to not trust in our own intellect or situation. That we might uh, cling to Jesus. God, thank you for this morning, for your word. May your spirit guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, I wanted to tell you, last week I preached part of this message, and I'm just going to preach this message again. Uh, there was much more in the passage that I wanted to get to, but we had the kids with us yesterday, last week and uh, yesterweek. Um, and uh, so I wanted to do some of these things again. I feel like uh, God's it, the reality is uh, I just needed two weeks to learn all I was going to share. And so uh, sometimes that happens. John the Baptist, he has come. He uh, is is imprisoned at this time. And he's concerned with, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one that is to come? Uh, the one that we've been waiting for. He made a great profession earlier in the sense that God had uh, used him to point to Jesus. And for whatever reason, he uh, still wanted to know if Jesus was the one or if there was another. And after, so he sends his disciples, after he sends them back with the message, tell them what you have seen. Um, Jesus turns and talks about John and he talks about him in a way of the message. Like, your messenger was like this. Uh, We learned last week that uh, in verse 7, he says, Did you go out in the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? Meaning, the idea of a flip-flopper, one whose message was constantly changing, a a man who went uh, whatever way the wind blows. In fact, uh, as they thought about john's message and not just his message but the response it was not one like that at all it was one of in fact we'll get to that this morning it was one that was offensive it said change john john the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and really the idea of repentance is change and the kingdom of heaven is at hand means change now change now that this is the time to change and this morning, I want to tell you that because of our comfort, because of our culture that we're in right now, um, we don't jump for anything. We don't jump for anything. Uh, we get some of that mail that says, You need to respond now. And you'll say, I'll get to it next week. Uh, someone uh, calls and they say, I have an urgent message. And you say, Nah. We 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 don't jump because we, we feel desensitized and we feel like we're in charge. And so the idea of repent now, change now, uh, isn't really a message that we respond to very well. And it's true for John the Baptist as well. Many people heard him say that message and they went, nah, I'll just stay where I am. I'll do it when I get to it. It's interesting that the same message that John the Baptist gave, Jesus said the exact same message. He was preaching the same message. Repent. It's time. It's now. And so Jesus and John the Baptist have a singular message that they share. John first and then Jesus. And so... We see him not as a, a flip-flopper, but a stable message, a singular, clear message. In verse 8, it talked about that him being this messenger was also not one who was a rich man, a uh, someone that was attractive. In verse 8, what then did he go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. His clothing did not share with them that the, he was someone to be listened to, but rather Um, uh, it was simple. It was, uh, you know, wilderness type clothing. And so uh, John is a simple messenger with a a simple, clear message. As it goes on, the passage, we see that he is sent from God. He is sent from God. Um, You look down at verse 9, it says, What then did you go out to see? A prophet? And he says, Yes, he was a prophet. I tell you that... He was more than a prophet, is more than a prophet, meaning much more than a prophet, not just a little bit more. He was much more than a prophet. And as we'll see this morning, really all the, the prophecies of the Old Testament come to a point in John the Baptist in his message. Um, and, and it's fabulous as he, he points to this one special message. As we move on in verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. We're reminded that this prophet, though he is the best prophet. Verse 11. Truly I say to you that among those born in a wo- of a woman, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He's the best. Yet the one who is least in my kingdom of in the heaven is greater than he for us to remember that that th- this greatness that comes in John the Baptist because you would enter into his kingdom because e- even the least of us here this morning would be greater than he because of Jesus' kingdom. His special place he brings us to. The special relationship that we have because of him. All this... Uh, Sounds like a good deal. Sounds like a great offer, doesn't it? It sounds like something special. But you look down at verse 12, and you realize uh, that this message... I'm sorry. Um, I lost my place. Sorry. As you look at this, this passage, you see the greatness of position that comes from entering into the kingdom but then you see in verse twelve, for the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violent, and violence and the violent take it by force. You, you picture this, you picture John the Baptist, and because his message was about Christ and his kingdom, there's a tendency for us to say, uh, because it's the message of the lion uh, will lie down with the lamb. Uh, A message of peace that you would assume that as John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, that everyone would go, Oh, that's so nice. That's such a happy message. That makes me happy inside. I just want to be with these people. Everyone's singing. It's just a, you know, we're going to do a group hug here in a little bit. And everyone's going to. If you look at what happened, especially in those early days of John the Baptist, it it brought, it was tumultuous. It was a message of upheaval. And violence came from it. It was not something that brought people together. It was one that brought people apart. And as you look through these early days, especially, you see that everywhere that John the Baptist went and shared this message, there was a mess and Jesus the same. There was a, it was a, not a picture of peace and tranquility and of, of happiness, but rather it was a tearing apart in the culture. And the reality is it needed to be. It needed to be. We struggle with this here today. Sometimes we think that the message of Christ is going to somehow make everybody happy. Uh, this last week, and I, I just fear saying this, it's not in my notes. It was in my notes and I took it out of my notes and I put it in another place and it's not in my notes, but this week, uh, over the internet, uh, they've been talking about Joel and, uh, Victoria Osteen and just their message of obedience to God as being somehow the, the purpose of it is to make you happy and God happy and everyone's happy, um, I want to set those folks aside and just realize that that's not for us, right? Okay, uh, go to the Word of God. Don't look to people and things and ideas, but look to the Word of God. You see, in this passage, where what, what was the response to the, the message? There's violence and there's continued violence of, of a tearing apart of people's lives because they are now following after Jesus, it's upheaval. It is not something that's quiet and restful, calm, and everyone likes it. This was the message, the response to the message of John the Baptist. It was not a popular message. And then you look down at verse 13 and 14. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John, okay? You get this picture, verse 13, that all these prophets somehow led up until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. First of all, let's talk about uh, the, these prophets, if if you look at all the prophets and what they shared, they had particular messages that were different for each time and place, that somehow what God was communicating uh, how He wanted people to be and the things that they needed to change. But one of the messages that, that flowed through the whole uh, Old Testament was this. The Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. And so as Jesus describes it, all these prophets, they were pushing this one singular message, among other things, to Jesus, the the Messiah, is coming. And now John the Baptist is the one. This one that points, it all culminates in him. It shares of him, and it says of him in verse 14, It says, and if you are willing to accept it, there's a contingency there. He is Elijah who is to come. That's tough to understand. Uh, I thought he was John. How can he be Elijah when he's John? Is this somehow Elijah reincarnated? He was in the Old Testament. Uh, You you might want to look, and I think there's a great connection, and I think this is the point. Uh, in, In the book of Malachi, it closes the book of Malachi, really that closes the Old Testament itself and says this. It's part of the prophecy of Malachi that uh, there's a mess. There's people, really, uh, one of the things that we believe God has called us to here. There's a mess in the family. There's a mess in the family. There's a mess in relationship between father and children. And at the end of the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then it says this, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Look at this, and I I, I see John the Baptist as uh, an almost fulfillment of this. And I, I say almost not because he extends the hand of God as part of the plan that the one like he's not the actual Elijah, but a Elijah type extending the hand saying, I'm here, I'm willing, I, I want you. And yet we'll see in a moment the response to John the Baptist was, nah, I don't want it. And I want what you have to offer. As we look at uh, what it is that... What he describes, this interaction between John the Baptist and the people. You look down at verse 16. And it's the generation's answer. He says this, But, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. Um this is so like Jesus. This this is the way Jesus does things. Um if if he, uh, he if you can picture that you know that he would have been a great one of the great universities of our country, higher education, with people who uh, you know, wore blazers, tweed blazers and stuff like that, and had glasses and they did this a lot and they were they were contemplating things. And Jesus says, Let me explain this to you. Think about children playing in the streets. And everyone would be going, Jesus, don't you know where we are? you know, we're smart people. We're smart people, we're educated people. We're we're way above that. And Jesus says, Let's let's look at the kids. He does it all the time. Look for it. He looks at. He points to the children. And some of you say, "Children bother me. They bother you." Yeah, I, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. My kids bother me too. And, and they're a God ordained bother. He wants me to be thinking about them. He wants me to see their heart. He wants me to see how they act. He wants me to see their insecurities. He wants me to be there with them when they flip out. And he wants me to connect it to my own heart as well. Jesus says, it's, what, what can I compare this generation? The overall response to John the baptist it 's like kids playing in the marketplace. You get the picture of this that the, the marketplace was the place where people came to share and barter and uh, to buy their goods for the week and, and they'd come and, and as they 're doing their shopping, the kids are m- milling around they 're connecting with their friends and uh, moms over their shop. This would be way better uh, than things are now you know it 's like a huge playland in the middle of the market. And so the kids are playing. And he says, this is what I described to you of the response of this generation. It's that their are kids. Uh, they're playing in the marketplaces and they're calling to their playmates. Hey, come on over and play with us. Come be part of our game. And he describes uh, most likely two possible kids games that they played. The wedding and the funeral. Um, I I thought about that and I go, you know, we do that now. Kids do that now. They they play dress up. They say, uh, you know, let's you know. The boys don't necessarily like to play this. In fact, they break out in a rash when the girls say, "Hey, let's play like we're getting married," and they go, "No." Um. I'm sure even some thought of it uh, after maybe hearing Zach and Katie's wedding last week. They went home and played wedding. Okay, Uh, they found shoes and they found a dress, and they they wanted they they wanted to play wedding. And so you you get this picture of these two games uh, of probably the wedding and probably the funeral. And you get these two very opposite events. Uh, in fact, even here, uh, I've heard many people say they, they go to a, a, a memorial service or funeral and they say, oh, I'd much rather go to weddings. And others have even said the opposite, you know, that they love to go to funerals and memorial services because they see the beauty of a, a life culminated in going home. But these two opposite events of life, and so the, the playmates are out in the, the marketplace and they're calling to their friends and they're saying, hey, come and play with us. Um, we're we're going to play wedding. Let me let me play the music so you could come and it'll come and come dance with us. And this was part of this. And what was the response? What was the response? Well, they, they were backing away going, no, I don't play wedding. I don't, I, don't, I don't dance, I don't dance. you know it's like a middle school dance the, the boys are like I, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm too cool for school I, like i don't I don't involve myself in that. That's an offer that's an offer that I'll refuse. That's an offer that I'll back away from, and the the kids are calling and they're saying, Come, play with us, we want you to play. I'm playing the music so that you can come and be with us." They said, "No, I, I don't accept your offer." That's the first game, the second game. Uh, oh, you, you don't like that music. You don't like that game? Let's do the funeral. Let's play the dirge. Maybe that would be something that we'll do that instead, okay? Because we want you to be with us. We want we call you to come, so we'll play that. You know what? The response, same response. same response. Uh, I don't accept your offer. I'll just stay over here. You guys are looking pretty foolish over there. I'm not going to get myself involved with you. The offer is given in two different ways and rejected in both ways. The children have called to their playmates, but their playmates have rejected them. You look down at... uh, Verse 18 and 19, and we have the specific responses to both John and Jesus. For John came neither uh, eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Talked earlier uh, last week about his. Uh, eating habits. They weren't one of greatness. It was grabbing at grasshoppers and honey and whatever else he could find out there that there wasn't fine things that he, you know, he wasn't a foodie, if you will. Okay. Uh, And, and people thought it weird. And so what did they do? Uh, John has his offer. They look at him and they go, he's weird. He has a demon. Look at what he, look at what he's eating. You know, that's weird. He's got a demon. It must be. And, and this is the thing about rejecting an offer. Most of the time, when we reject an offer, we have to give ourselves a reason why. And if we don't just like it, sometimes we make stuff up. This is what they did with John the Baptist's offer. They said he has a demon. We're not going to listen to him. He he has a demon. Why, why do they say that? Well, is it, was it his message? No, the message seemed pretty convincing. But I didn't, just didn't like the way he looked, and he's eating, and so he must have a demon. On the other side of things, um, the, the exact opposite, it says this in verse 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So this should be good, right? He, he's just like everybody else. He came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Same message: repent. The kingdom of heaven is in it. repent now. You know this. Is, and and the the first offer where they say, oh, he's got a demon. I'm not listening to him. And then the second offer: what? What do we do? They said, no way. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's who Jesus is. I'm not listening to either one. I'm not listening to either one. And Jesus says this, and I want to point this out. I want to go back a little bit. I skipped over this. Um, If you look at verse 15, speaking in the midst of talking about the prophets, he says this, He who has ears, let him hear. And the point of that is, you know, everyone's got ears, right? Everyone's got ears. And... It's the idea of hearing, but not just hearing, but moving, moving. It's it's the idea that that upon hearing the message that it would cause you to make changes and to embrace the change in your life. It's not just hearing, but it's moving. And then you see this at the end of our section that yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Um, another way to say that is time will tell. Time will tell. Time will tell. If if these, they they were claiming some very big things, that John had a demon and that Jesus was this awful sinner. And Jesus says, look, time will tell. Time will tell. And that's the reality for us too, is that we might be living our lives on great wisdom that we think is perfect, but... Time will tell. Time will tell. It will play out in our life and definitely in eternity. I want you to see this. And and as Jesus has shared this, he's sharing with the crowd. He's mainly talking about John the Baptist, but he's also speaking of himself. And he says, the offer was extended. The offer is out there. What are you going to do with the offer?" And really uh, asking the question, it's easy for us to talk about this generation. What's happening in our country today? I can't believe what's going on in our world. For us to bemoan that. But the answer might be answered generationally, What what's going on in our world. But the question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with Jesus? I I look at a group of people and I sit there with you. I just happen to be able to share with you this morning. But I I look at a group of people that are needy, that are needy, that are hurting, that are insecure, that that you're in pain, that you're you're struggling in many, many ways. And you look at the offer of Jesus, who's there every week. He's there every day and you're looking at him and you're fumbling through his offer and you're placing it beside the offers of the world and you go, let me wait on answering that because maybe I'll get a better offer than Jesus. I assure you, you will not. I assure you. And Jesus says, I'm calling to you. For some of you here this morning, he's calling to you in salvation, for you to give up your ways and to follow him. And you say, well, what does that entail? It might entail dancing. Okay. And you say, well, I don't dance for anyone. He says, fine. Do your own offer. You say, well, uh, you know, I, I, I like my life the way it is. If you like the way your life is, just stick with it. But Jesus is calling you out of your life. He's saying, repent, change, come with me, be a part of my kingdom. That's for some of you this morning. To, now's the time for you to repent. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second group here that, that you're a part of his kingdom. But you're looking back you're looking outside of His kingdom and your life, you're struggling and you say, yeah, uh, I I know what I need. I I, I just need to, to organize my life better. I, I just need to organize and then I'll be happy. I, I just need to make more money and then I'll be happy. I, I just need to get my kids in order and then I'll be happy. I, I I just need to do better in my marriage. I just need to lose a few pounds. I just need to do a little bit of this. I just need to get a better job. And then... I'll be great and part of his kingdom. I want to tell you that in Jesus, in Jesus is where we find our fulfillment. It's not outside of Jesus. And as he extends to you a relationship with him, I want to tell you that that's where your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your security will be found in him. So that was the offer what's your answer? What's your response? The generation has the wrong response. What will you have? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, for your word. God, I ask that you would thrill us with it. May we cling to Jesus, the King and his kingdom. God, uh, may these words continue to uh, be mulled over in our hearts this week, in our homes, in our relationships with our wife and children, our spouse. Thank you for this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.